Hey Curiosphere, this is Pratham here and I'm Suruj. I hope you guys are doing well. On this channel, we basically have random open-ended conversations about some of the topics that have intrigued or fascinated us. So we pick something interesting and you know that we wondered about and we bounce our ideas, thoughts and perspectives off of each other just to see what we think about it from the little bit of uh, experience we've gathered from movies or books or culture. So yeah, in today's episode, we're going to talk about a bit of outer space, the Earth's vicinity, and the human effort to explore the solar system. Um, this is something that gets me really excited, and I think it's the same for Suraj as well. Yep. So yeah, let's uh, get right into the good stuff. So, Suraj, I wanted to start off with playing a bit of audio for you, and see if okay. you recognize what it is. <laughs> okay, let me try. <laughs> so here goes. Okay, did you get that? Yeah, yeah, I got it. So I think I, I pretty much know what it is growing up watching Hollywood movies and, you know, sci-fi movies. <laughs> it's any time when you, you know, are in the face of danger or anything, you encounter anything that's terrifying or uh, you haven't been trained to. That's what we tell. Yep, yep. Houston, we have a problem. Yeah. So, but but do you know where it originated? Like the original mission that uh, got that phrase kind of in the mainstream? Mm, not really. Like, I, I know about Houston. Okay. But yeah, I, I'm not sure about its inception. Okay. So, I, I, that's kind of where I wanted to start with. Uh, so, that's from the Apollo 13 mission specifically. Hmm? Uh, are you familiar with that mission? Uh, not really. Okay, so a bit of context uh, for anyone who's not familiar. So the Apollo 13 mission uh, was a mission that actually did not land on the moon. And right from the beginning of the mission, there were a lot of problems and failures. So right in the middle of the mission, when they were en route to the moon, uh, there was a blast. And basically, neither the astronauts nor the space center on the ground realized what had happened. And people were scrambling to figure out what had actually happened. And then they realized that the fuel tank and the oxygen cylinder has suffered a blast. Okay. And so, yeah, it was like from that moment on, in, like when they really figured out that, okay, this has happened. And they saw that out of the uh, two tanks, one of them is showing that there's no oxygen left at all. And that realization happened when one of the astronauts looked out outside the window and he can see some gas being blown off into space. And that's what he reported to the ground station. And then they realized that was the issue. So, Ooh. yeah. So from that point forward, basically the mission became, they had to abandon, uh, you know, landing on the moon. And basically it became a survival mission to come back to Earth. And the way they brought the uh, craft back to Earth with all the uh, astronauts intact, that was like one of the biggest high points of that mission. So yeah, in, even though the mission did not really succeed, it was seen as a really successful effort because in the uh, face of danger and basically a lot of unknowns thrown in there and a lot of issues through that journey where sometimes the communication was off because the frequency band was being used by something else and they had to turn off some computers to save battery 
and when they turned it off the temperature got really cold in there and the inside of the spacecraft started suffering condensation and water on the instrument panel and stuff so like there were like a lot of problems but finally they were able to make it back wait was this right after the takeoff or when was this oh uh, yeah once they were in space and going towards the moon that's when the blast happened okay yeah so instead of orbiting and then trying to land on the far side they basically mm. just orbited back and uh yeah they had to adjust the trajectory and figure out how to get back to it oh yeah i think i've heard bits of this but yeah no, not to this detail yeah so i think uh, yeah so the movies you were mentioning they they use that as a phrase but that's where it actually originates from that uh, particular mission oh that's nice i mean not the actual mission part but <laughs> knowing that is nice Yeah. the mission would be terrifying yeah okay so what do you think about the mission and uh, the effort that started right from the 50s and 60s the apollo missions and others from the soviet union side and stuff yeah uh, at least according to what i know it started off as a you know political rivalry between us and uh, the soviet uh, because the, even they were planning to go ahead and the us wanted to reach there first and so that kind of accelerated the program but yeah nonetheless it didn't stop them from uh, you know ma- making that actual spacecraft and uh, venturing towards moon and uh, people actually landing over there and that really changed the perception of nasa i think in the eyes of people and that's when it uh, became famous and i think that was the inception of more missions the that was planned future of course we didn't land on the moon uh, after that but that really instigated our pension towards space towards exploration in general yeah like goes without saying about the apollo 11 mission when they actually landed and stuff it was like a crazy thing just shook the world i can't really not mention the words that he first stepped on it i think i think it's just like the golden words in that history one small step for man one giant leap for mankind Yeah, even if you now listen to it it's just kind of dazzling. Yeah, so when I heard that recording or whenever I hear it even now it just you know uh, have chill running down my spine because it it kind of feels so surreal for me that we actually landed on moon and uh, even though there are some other great feats like we discovered gravitational waves and all those stuff this this human element to it like i really enjoy that we actually went to outer space and then uh, we landed on moon uh, that that really stirs up the curiosity in me yeah i think same for me also like especially that we've been looking at the moon for like thousands of years and finally a person has gone and stepped on it and collected samples and done stuff and taken pictures and i think there was also this one famous uh, at least i found it on youtube or something this video of him throwing a hammer and a paper at the same time and it lands on the surface together and it just makes me oh. yeah like it just suddenly came to me like i'd seen that like years back he basically drops that heavy hammer and that light paper together and it falls at the same rate nice and slow and it hits the ground softly at the same time so yeah there's this real i don't know like kind of like satisfactory feeling about that Yeah, I get what you mean. That that would be awesome. I think I have seen it like a while back. I mean, a really long time ago. But uh, yeah, it, it kind of seems familiar. Yeah. 
Oh man, some of those missions. Yeah. I think there's a mm. movie also on that. Uh, I just love that movie. I think it's called First Man. Have you seen that? Uh, by Ryan, Ryan yeah, Gosling, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. I think I've seen the trailer of it, but uh, yeah, I didn't, I didn't see the whole movie. Is it good? Uh, that movie is like really intense. Uh, oh. I don't know if this might be a spoiler, so... But anyways, like, they... It's not just about... Uh, on the stuff they do on the moon which is also really well shot but hmm. it's also about the intensity of the days and weeks before leading up to it you know oh and they it's really well done dude and actually i use some of that music hmm. sometimes if i'm trying to create something just use the background score to oh, play that's nice i have to look it up then i mean i've seen yeah. this movies like interstellar and you know gravity not so much but yeah such space movies ad astra many times but uh, the stuff that actually happened i ought to see it <laughs> for sure okay you mentioned interstellar so we can't just go past that yep yep <laughs> for sure <laughs> i think needless to say it's like an awesome movie that's but, yeah i i just wish that i can see that in imax like oh you didn't watch it no i okay. <laughs> like at that point in time i didn't know about uh, you know christopher nolan or uh, you know what interest i i knew interstellar was about some uh, you know movie about space like i think i had watched gravity at that time and i didn't enjoy it that much but uh, was gravity before interstellar i don't recall i think maybe around the same time somewhere ah man yeah anyway i didn't get a chance to you know watch that movie in theaters like i would have loved to later when i watched it in my small uh, laptop i was like man i missed such a great chance <laughs> yeah i think easily one of my favorite movies and yeah okay let me ask you this uh, hmm. so there is a quote from that movie okay. which says uh, mankind was born on earth mm. but it was never meant to die here yeah yeah i, I dig so, that <laughs> what do you think about that yeah yeah i totally dig that i think it's probably would be uh, you know like an autobiography for elon musk he's literally trying to uh, achieve that okay Yeah. But like what do you think in terms of exploring and actually occupying another planet in this? Let's just talk about a local solar system for now. Mm, yeah, definitely. I mean, I think we can only occupy what Mars, Jupiter and Saturn again, uh, gaseous planets and uh or this Uranus and Neptune. I too cold. Yeah, too cold. No, but they, they aren't gaseous, right? They're rocky planets. They are there. No, no, no. I think Okay, I'm just going to quickly google that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, I think Mars would be our best chance if we're going to venture out into space and also of course the moon. Uh, that's one. I would obviously dig that uh, exploration part and going to another planet or a moon or oh, uh, like we almost forgot about this Io Europa, uh, the moons of Jupiter. Even they're pretty good candidates probably. Like at least, at least they're launching missions to find uh, if there's life on those moons of Jupiter. Yeah. The so, w- what about Europa? Uh, have you seen uh, you know like some of the things about it? Like, I know it's a icy, smooth surface kind of a planet. They suspect there's an ocean under the surface, right? Yeah. Yeah. That, that that's pretty much what I know about it. but i think what kind of gets me excited is i think i remember this one bit by neil degrasse tyson mm-hmm. i think we wouldn't have been able to record this without mentioning him <laughs> yeah but 
But there's one part he says, one part he says that uh, you know I want to go there, I want to land, I want to cut a hole in the ice, put the cam, like scoop the ice out, put the camera in, and see if anything comes in like the glass surface. Ah, yeah, I definitely remember that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember which show or where it was, but yeah, it was just so like I just imagined it and. Yeah, I think it was uh, definitely from Star Talk. You would have heard it from there. And yeah, just a uh, shout out to Star Talk. I know that Neil deGrasse Tyson has uh, mentioned one of that. I have even I've heard of that. And do you know if there's any mission, you know, plan to do just that? I mean, not actually go there with a human, scoop up the ice, but uh, send a rover and <laughs> you know, send a rover, drill a hole, and uh, collect data. I think there were some proposed plans, but I'm not sure about mm. how, like, how serious they are about mm-hmm. that. Because I think it's a substantial effort to do that. Yeah. But that kind of actually brings me to another moon. Okay. Uh, I think it's of Saturn. Enceladus. Have you heard of that one? Uh, which one? Enceladus. Yeah, yeah, I have. So similar kind of story, right? Like, mm. it's it's this moon that's, uh, yeah, enwrapped in like this giant ice sheet mm-hmm. covering the entire surface. And mm-hmm. I was just, uh, like, I think quite a while back, I was just reading about it. And there is a subsurface ocean that they know for sure. Mm-hmm. Because around the South Pole, there's those fissures. And it literally blasts uh, the hot water from those fissures mm-hmm. out into space. And some of that actually makes up the ring of Saturn, like one of the rings oh. of Saturn. Yeah, so I don't know. I think it was a Cassini mission. Mm-hmm. So it used the... Like, it tested the samples from that to figure out what is in that ocean. And they say it's, like, a pretty good chance that there's life over there because a lot of the compounds found in that sample were, like, life-creating organic compounds. Oh, that's awesome. I mean, how did they scoop that up? Like, uh, oh, you mentioned it was Cassini mission, right? Yeah, I think it was the Cassini mission. Mm. Uh, That's the one which ended up inside uh, Saturn. Yeah, 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 like they like finally when they decommissioned it, mm. it kind of flew into the Saturn atmosphere. And mm. uh, do you know why that is though? Mm. No, not really. I just knew that after decommissioning, they wanted to get good images of Saturn and uh, they let it spiral down towards Saturn. Yeah, that that's one. And uh, I, I just read this also that like. So basically, they since some of the moons are like this and they have water on it and stuff, they wanted to make sure that it doesn't go into one of the moons and contaminate any samples or like take any virus or anything like from the ah, Earth. And, yeah, 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 yeah. I I think this aligns with one of those. Uh, I mean, th- this is one of those protocols of NASA where they have. Uh, you know, for exploration and getting into uh, other planets and stuff. So they don't want to bring any contamination from outer space, if any, to Earth. And also they do not want to contaminate any life the form yeah, if there are yeah. uh, on the other planets. It was pretty surprising for me, actually, when I first came across that. I was like, okay, I never thought of that. Mm, exactly. I, you know, th- there's another aspect to it. One is, yeah, of course, we do not want to destroy any life forms over there, if any. And uh, the other part is, okay, let's say they get any organisms, Earth, uh, like earthly organisms on the spacecraft and somehow it survived and it landed on Mars or whatever, whichever planet or moons they're going. And it's over there. We don't recognize it. And like 50 or 80 years later, we then go uh, do another second mission over there. And then when we try to get some sample, we get the same organisms and we think that, okay, it was always there on Mars or it was always there on this moon and we bring it back and 
you know we're happy that we discovered life on other planet so they don't want even that to happen wow that's interesting okay i i didn't know that one yeah wow so yeah i think uh, all these organisms like i think tardigrades they can survive like crazy temperatures and atmospheric pressures and stuff so yeah they can definitely withstand all that yeah i think i, th- I think i've seen that like mm. those tiny creatures right so yep. tiny and yep, yep. Yeah. i think i read they even survive gamma ray uh, blasts i'm not i'm not sure <laughs> <laughs> okay what about titan have you uh, come across that hmm titan i mean of course i have come, come across that but i kind of don't remember any you know missions planned or like anything specific to titan do you okay yeah yeah because what fascinated me was there was this kind of uh, flyby video of mm-hmm. the so with the cassini spacecraft i think there's a huygens uh, craft that was attached if i'm not wrong okay and what happened is that was deployed onto titan because they hmm. suspected some kind of liquid on the surface and like that's the mission that uncovered that there's hydrocarbon lakes on that moon oh. and yeah and there's one more interesting thing actually there's there's some that they do suspect a nice water subsurface over there also if i recall correctly okay yeah and it's like actually when that that part of the rover landed the the huygens part of it was put on the surface and it landed mm. the communication communication to the cassini craft which is still orbiting mm-hmm. kind of got blocked because of the doppler effect and oh. i remember this specifically thinking you know like i know about the effect but i never knew this uh, uh. little anecdote and it would've been really interesting to know it at the time yeah yeah that's really interesting so, yeah they had to change the orbit of the craft to take a shorter orbit so that mm-hmm. uh, basically the waves that are getting sent don't change into whatever like if you're sending if you're sending like uh, radio waves it doesn't get changed into microwaves you know so the craft would take a smaller orbit to catch the waves earlier so it wouldn't shift so much okay i actually thought it wouldn't matter at such small distances does it actually no so so, so the huygens craft is on the surface of titan and cassini is orbiting the entire saturn system ha uh-huh. so it would make i think a significant okay if that distance you know uh, creates doppler effect even on earth and like all the geostationary stat- satellites orbiting earth do they create as well like significant doppler effect that we have to correct for i have no idea hmm i know that we have <laughs> I to i think for relativity right you were saying uh yeah i i mean i know that we have to correct for the time dilation uh for getting accurate time because of the relativity gravity. yeah 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 i think maybe there would be because or depends if it's a ge- geostationary satellite being used or something mm-hmm. i don't know maybe but i just found that fact so interesting because it's just like a basic thing of physics and they probably wouldn't have expected that to cause such a problem so mm-hmm. basically that cassini craft wasn't equipped to pick that range that was oh. getting like yeah that the shift was causing it to go to a different waveform mm-hmm. and the craft wasn't equipped to handle that okay got it so they had to cut the orbit short so that before it would shift so much mm-hmm. the craft would pick it up and that the huygens part of it wouldn't be such a failure got it got it so was the original mission intended to you know drop that huygen part into yeah, to yeah, titan yeah. yeah okay because i think they suspected that it had some liquid and mm-hmm. they really curious to know what it had 
So there's these there's these really nice images of uh, that were taken before like that part got lost contact. Okay. But yeah, really interesting. It looks really cool. The hydrocarbon lakes and mm. all the details on the surface. Yeah, yeah. That's really interesting. So all this uh, hydrocarbon stuff, like I, I actually didn't know there was hydrocarbons on uh, other surfaces apart from Earth. Actually, I'm not aware of anything other than this moon, like mm-hmm. having it in such a, like a liquid form and mm-hmm. quite abundant and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, as soon as you hear that, I think that would uh, you know, lead you to think that that's one of the hot yeah. places for life to form. Yeah, basically trigger all the scientists <laughs> yeah, exactly. to run there. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, oh man, it'll be fun if sometime. I think, but these are the candidates, I think. Mm. The subsurface ocean, moons, and uh, this place, Titan. Yeah. And if we are, you know, venturing into, venturing into that topic, we can't forget Venus. Uh, you remember, right? Like recently, Venus was in the hot topics because they had detected methane gas from Venus. And uh, they thought that it could be a sign of life. Oh, yeah? Like, I didn't hear about this. Oh, this this was very famous. Uh, it happened quite recently. I'm not sure. It's like two months back, two, three months back, probably. So, yeah, they detected methane. And that's one of those gases that gets into the atmosphere of any body, predominantly if there's life. So, basically, what they were checking was... Uh, I mean, everyone knows that... N- n- at least us as humans or any other species living on this earth, um, like macroscopic species, like not tardigrades and stuff. Uh, if the, like they cannot survive on Venus, I think Venus' surface temperature is average, average is about 470 degrees Celsius, somewhere around that. So, yeah, I was just gonna ask you because mm. it's like super high pressure and super high temperature, and exactly. I've heard all this like acid rain and other things and stuff <laughs> yeah yeah so i mean th- that's why many people were skeptical about it uh, in the beginning but that methane emission was really promising so then they were they started to think the other way okay if there has to be life you know what condition or what should the life be made of or how should it look to even survive at those temperatures so that's one and then okay let's just eliminate this temperature part and how about if it's just hovering over the at- atmosphere where it's not that hot. So what if that life form, life form is only, you know, uh, near the atmosphere? So they started to investigate. Um, at least I heard this in one, one of those other podcasts. Oh, okay. Yeah, that, that was very interesting. The debate where could life form be just dispersed in the atmosphere, which is leading to that methane emission. I think it's like anywhere there's some potential, it just suddenly gets like the whole community buzzing and suddenly there's like, okay, this planet might be a potential. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's true. I think that that's one of those um, very few topics that gets everyone talking. Yeah, probably. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but talking about Venus, like, have you seen some of the images from the Venera missions from the Soviet? Nope, I haven't. Oh, you should check them out. I think I posted uh, about it on one of my channels like long back. Okay. But it just, it, so so basically, at least I think it was Venera 13, if I'm not wrong. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I, I, I think since they were aware from previous missions how extreme the planet's conditions are, they they expected it to like maybe last like half an hour or something and just disintegrate. 
So it was it was like a suicidal mission, and they knew it. Wait, was but it that, going? Uh, so it wasn't just orbiting. It, it no, no, it lands. Yeah, it lands on the surface. Oh, oh, damn! Yeah, I didn't know about there are some missions. Yeah. So this is, I think this is one of the most successful ones, relatively. Okay. So instead of lasting just half an hour, as per the expectations, it actually lasted for two hours and sent images back and, mm. uh, you know, yeah, it, it was really nice. Awesome. Uh, and I, yeah. No, no, continue. No, I, I just wanted to ask if they found anything else apart from, you know, stuff that uh, we already knew. Not really, but the images itself were, I think, the main like achievement over there instead of just data mm-hmm. we got some actual proper images and that looks really cool like you can see the craft's leg and stuff in that image and i think there's some panorama kind of images also oh if i recall yeah just check that out i think you'll find it really interesting yeah, yeah. should definitely check that out and i kind of find it funny that <laughs> the planet that's supposed to be named after the goddess of love uh-huh. has like a hellish I know, right? Atmosphere and extreme. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know if it's irony or what. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? <laughs> also, did you know that, you know, speaking of names, um, many people don't realize this, but all these planets, they're named after, I think, Roman gods. And the moons of it are named after the Greek gods. Yeah, yeah. I think I, I read that somewhere long back. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, it, it, for me, it almost adds like this. See, for example, it's just like something like for past 400 years, mm-hmm. people from four, four, five hundred years, mm-hmm. people from our planet have been trying to, you know, look at these wanderers in the sky and mm-hmm. understand what's happening and what do they look like. And that historical aspect of it with images of those ancient telescopes mm-hmm. and stuff from that time mm-hmm. and the fact that they named it so, mm-hmm. it almost adds like this magical element for me to it. Like yeah. Ganymede and Io and Jupiter and Juno. Yeah, yeah. You know, like, uh, man, like when you said Ganymede, Io, all these things, like uh, it, it, it also reminds me of the series called The Expanse. I think you had started it I'm not sure if you had finished it. Yeah, I found it interesting. I think it's this is something futuristic. So, yep, yep, uh, really nice. If you want, looking for a sci-fi series, you can check that out. Yeah, but I wanted to kind of uh, also ask you, like, have you heard of the overview effect? Ah, uh, no. Yeah. So, 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 like, some of the uh, astronauts who who have gone, even if it's just to the International Space Station. Mm-hmm. So they always describe this kind of an effect where uh, they look back on Earth and suddenly they feel this intense feeling where, I don't know what it is exactly, they're not able to describe it that well, Mm -hmm. but just this feeling of like how everything is just consolidated and fragile and our little planet is just floating there. And it's like all those things that get discussed and nothing really matters. So it's called the overview effect and apparently it's, it happens only when you look at the planet as a whole, like that overview of mm-hmm. the entire planet and everything you've ever known yeah. is just like right there. Oh, man. What do you think about that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, first thing is like, if you want that, uh, nothing really matters and all this stuff. I don't think I really have to go to moon to see that. <laughs> I have my own dose of existential crisis to deal with. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, Yeah. that definitely makes sense uh, because no one, okay, the the people who who are there in outer space and people who have actually touched, gone and landed on the moon, when they just see Earth, 
as it is and no one has ever ventured out uh, out of earth or uh, no place else that kind of puts things into perspective it kind of reminds me about uh, the pale blue dot uh, quote from carl sagan where he talks about, goes on about you know uh, everyone you loved everyone you ever heard of ever knew so yeah every single thing that we ever knew about it's over there that is awesome no? and i think this is really nice video on youtube also about hmm. that and i've just seen it so many times at least like it's been a while now but oh yeah check that out if you haven't sure. it's like a really nice video that that whole quote mm-hmm. and there's some really nice images and stuff somebody's created yep yep definitely check that out and also because we were talking about you know surface temperature of venus and how how it's so hot i i wanted to point out that many people they don't know this fact that mercury is actually colder than venus its nights the nights in mercury are definitely way below zero it's minus 180 degrees celsius and even the days in mercury it's uh, it's below the average temperature of venus did you know that i think you would have known i think somewhere yeah it was there but like actively like when you said it now i was kind of surprised i was like oh okay oh. but is that because of the tidal locking no it's not that okay Oh, it's because of the Venus uh, atmosphere, right? Yeah. Traps heat. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. I remember. <laughs> so Mercury, it doesn't have it. Uh, it's not like it doesn't have atmosphere. It has very thin atmosphere, and because of that, you know, when sun's rays fall on that, um, in the night it just dissipates as heat. So that's how it should generally happen. But Venus has a crazy thick atmosphere and mostly filled with carbon dioxide. So whatever sun rays, uh, sun's rays enter that. it doesn't go out in the night so that heat is trapped inside that causing that runaway greenhouse effect so because of that oh, nice. yeah and because of that you know mercury is much colder than venus and nights are like minus 180 degrees celsius so that's that's damn cold for a planet that's so close to sun man that's crazy you know right <laughs> i i actually never would have thought that it'd be so cold yeah and you know this also puts one more thing into perspective like i think this is one other example or um, you know reason to venture out into space and study astronomical objects because looking at venus we can kind of predict where our earth is headed if we continue on with our emissions if even earth has that thick atmosphere with carbon dioxide in it then like yeah i mean we really are headed to what venus is currently Yeah. Mm. Let me ask you about Pluto. What do you think? Planet? No planet? <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I'm pretty sure it's a dwarf planet. It's definitely not a planet. So <laughs> does it really matter? Like, it always gets me thinking. And since we mentioned Neil deGrasse Tyson, I think. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, but but which aspect of it do you want me to talk about? Like the just the naming of it? Like does it matter? Yeah, like the classification. Does it really matter? kind of i think like it it helps us study um, because there is classification we can neatly divide uh, you know stuff into one or the other class and then it's easier to study <laughs> gives it an okay, idea hmm. yeah i disagree okay I, i don't think it really matters okay like a planet is still spinning out there just doing its thing and like it really doesn't matter it's just like us kind of arguing with us as what should we qualify i mean classify it as No, but do you do you know the actual reason why it was uh, you know demoted from a uh, dwarf planet and why it was originally considered as planet? The size? Yeah, that was one. And because it was actually 
the measuring instruments it wasn't that um, precise as we have now so when they initially measured the size of pluto they were actually thinking that they they would find planet x so what ha- what really happened was when this uh, you know when we have neptune like we figured out that there is neptune and neptune wasn't weighing you know newton's laws of gravity or even einstein's general theory of relativity for that matter so they thought that okay there might be another planet which is tugging on neptune and uh, causing it to you know behave abnormally uh, not abnormally but not follow the laws of gravity um, of newton or even einstein so i've heard of this mm-hmm. i've heard of this yeah so yeah so what they thought was yeah there definitely should be a planetics and so began the hunt for planetics but then they did the inversion problem where they found out that okay if neptune has to have this deviation from this newton's law there has to be an object of this size and uh, right over there and they started to you know point the telescopes at that particular direction where the calculations showed that it should be there but they didn't find anything so after a lot of research and uh, in search with the telescope I, i don't know the, i don't remember the name but what they figured out was they just took out took the images of the whole wide space and then one person found out that okay there is a planet and they called it they started calling it pluto and they thought that planet x was discovered and at that time our measuring instruments wasn't that precise enough to pick up what the size of pluto should be but as decades went by i think this was in 1993 when finally someone figured out that the size of the pluto is actually it was getting smaller and smaller i mean pluto was the same size as uh, it it always was our measuring instruments got better and so our measurements also so then we figured out that okay pluto is way small for neptune to be behaving like that so it's definitely not due to pluto's gravity and then someone figured out that okay wait um we have to take a look at the logs of this neptune's orbit and then when he went and he took a look at the logs it actually turned out that there was some calibration error or some gearbox malfunction which led to uh, that incorrect logs of neptune and then when they took out those uh, erratic logs like neptune was behaving as it was supposed to behave on the orbit of neptune i mean so then there was no need for pluto and they also got to know that yeah i mean it's it's too small it's the size of almost the size of our moon so it cannot be considered uh, classified as a planet so yeah that was a little short story about pluto well now that's interesting like how first you kind of theorize and find something and then later you discover you don't need it yeah it reminds me of that sherlock quote inevitably one begins to twist facts to suit theories instead of theories to suit facts ah you know right <laughs> but yeah i mean i think uh, but that that kind of is uh, you know excites me that shows the frontier of science it doesn't have the back answers that we have in our school textbooks yeah and do you remember like when the new horizons spacecraft finally reached pluto and sent images back and there was like such a hype created because i think there was some i think there was some heart shaped uh, kind of formation that was really? evident like from the yeah like in the sense like it it probably is like a natural kind of formation but after like the false color image and stuff it looks like a proper heart on one face of the planet oh. so there was this whole yeah like buzz going around on the internet about oh we love you pluto <laughs> this kind of stuff yeah i think people still haven't forgotten their attachment to pluto 
Yeah. Yeah. I think it kind of reignited that whole debate uh, about the <laughs> Yeah. What do you say? Yeah, I mean, I... No, I, I don't think I remember or... I mean, I, I don't think I've read about that. Uh, new horizon new horizon passing by so did it cross uh, the all, all the planets yeah but uh, yeah i did i don't know like if there were like strong images from all of mm-hmm. them or something but mostly what i've seen from that mission is only the pluto images so uh, what was the original intention of that mission was it just to you know orbit pluto or land on pluto what was that I think it's like one of the targets is Pluto and after like orbiting around it for a while it went into like beyond it mm-hmm. so towards the Kuiper belt and trying to analyze objects there okay okay cool so Kuiper belt is uh, I think it's just uh, where all these comets and this small uh, stowaways rocks are there right like icy particles yeah i think uh, it's like that circular disk of objects from which some comets originate and stuff right yeah yeah then that's the one and it's it's crazy like if you think about it a craft going out into uh, that space where there's no planets now and there's nothing that we know yeah. probably just like a few objects that we're naming as we come across yeah i know right it's really interesting that's true I actually want to play some audio oh, for you. Okay. 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 <laughs> okay uh, just hold on. Mm. Okay, listen to this. Mm. Did you get that? Yeah, yeah. some too sharp high pitched noise yeah so that so that is basically actually audio from deep space uh that was recorded by the voyager spacecraft uh wait wh- where was this like was it near kuiper belt or like like from deep space like once it crossed the belt and i think it's like even after the influence of the sun like after the oort cloud and stuff oh so we on that yeah it was relayed by the voyager spacecraft but i'm not sure but basically it's just noise of space nothing not, nothing to do with any planet or anything else but wait what do you mean i mean space doesn't have you know air or air molecules to carry sound so what was that yeah so uh, if i remember correctly it's basically captured the sounds of dense plasma oh, vibrating okay. in interstellar space so i'm guessing it has an instrument that's sensitive to that then oh but Okay. Doesn't it sound eerie as hell like? Yeah, yeah. It's so <laughs> you know what I mean? You know right? You know it kind of reminds me of this just I don't know this going on in a tangential direction where uh, there was this very short horror story where you tell that um what is the most uh, scariest thing that you can think of and that's when you're living alone in an entire planet and someone knocks on your door. So I don't know for some reason I Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> that just made me like like yeah i don't know yeah so it's like you're out in the space and you suddenly hear this eerie noise you know that there's uh, no one supposed to be out there but this just noise is just unsettling damn that's a nice piece of like <laughs> to wake to wake someone up <laughs> <laughs> i know but yeah so you, you mentioned that it was plasma yeah the uh, yeah like so okay. what i recall reading is like 
vibrating mm-hmm. ionized gas vibrating picking up sounds from that like the vibrations of that I, I'm, I'm guessing okay cool i'm i'm guessing was that from the sun like our sun because i know that our sun solar winds travel a lot a long distance and it has those charged particles with it i actually don't know about that could be okay yeah. <laughs> cool cool but speaking of the voyager man like you've seen the golden record hmm. and have you yeah yeah i have <laughs> man so just for the context uh, so basically yeah the voyager spacecraft is something that uh, nasa and i think even esa is involved which we sent out into deep space like across all the planets and uh, across the influence of the sun and like even now currently it's going out into a random direction in deep space and what it contains is the golden record and a few other things basically there's audio files there's images recorded and all of that is kind of printed onto a record and there's messages on it so there's like sounds of oceans and lightning and rain and babies crying and birds and whales there's basically just to give anyone who comes across it an idea of what it is like on earth so almost like a message in a bottle thrown out to the sea kind of a intention yeah yeah So yeah about the golden record so it's like you were saying yeah so what i was saying was uh, not the final record itself like I, i'm not like uh, i'm i saw it long back like what was the actual contents of that record but just thinking about it when they were trying to come up with what to put put over there the, their i'm just wondering about their thought process like how the people who are deciding what earth or what humanity will be portrayed to other civilizations if we ever encounter them like that's just it's it's amazing to think about it like their thought process at that moment uh, yeah for sure they decide on putting it up yeah and i think the one thing that i liked at least is just the fact that they wanted to kind of consolidate like sound as a consolidated mm. you know humanity not uh, so even though that was the case i think we included a lot of diversity like i'm not sure uh, i think there's like audio recorded from like a lot of different languages if i'm not wrong oh uh, yeah and there was it was intentional to keep like a lot of languages mm. and showcase that i mean it kind of brings us back to our first episode of it <laughs> i know right? i just realized suddenly <laughs> but yeah so i like that like and i think uh, yeah one of the best folks in the whole community carl sagan was in charge of mm. some of the stuff so oh was he the head head of it i think so like at least he was one of the main people so nice so like i think it uh, i think someone kind of you know when we think about it okay whether the the spacecraft will be discovered by an alien civilization or ever be found by somebody and will it be decoded and read mm. and will we ever get like a response back or something mm. and he said like he famously said that it would be impolite not to say hello <laughs> <laughs> uh after reading like some of his works like it it seems so carl sagan yeah <laughs> Oh man that reminds me of that movie Contact. Contact like, easily yeah easily my favorite movie. Oh I still am here to watch it. And it's I think we, 
yeah we had this discussion i think there's a novel and the movie is based off of the novel what yeah. did you recommend like do we read the novel but, or the movie i mean for me uh, i think this is one of those exceptions where the movie is better oh. at least in my opinion okay. but yeah i do know people some people who disagree mm-hmm. but just the way the movie was made and the kind of vibe it brought on mm-hmm. i don't i don't think the novel uh, managed to do that oh then yeah i should definitely check that out but feel free yeah feel free to go either way like <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah i shall there's one more thing on the golden record that i like do you know how that do you know about the primer and some of that stuff about what like how when you try to communicate with a civilization where you have no contact whatsoever uh-huh. like you try to establish some kind of a common language mm-hmm. and the way you do that is through something called a primer okay i don't know that which yeah so 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 on the golden record right like there's basically so what they've used is one is mathematics is the only universal language right so they've used binary binary digits to uh, you know communicate how the record needs to be played and for how long and stuff mm-hmm. but to measure time what they've used as kind of like a primer is hydrogen atoms oh Okay, I'll just quickly explain that a bit, uh, just for yeah. context. So basically, like uh, you know, once in a blue moon, the electron of a hydrogen atom reverses its spin, and when it does that, it basically gives you gives out a radiation. Hmm. So obviously, no matter where in the universe, that radiation would be the same. And since hydrogen is the most abundant element in the universe, that that measurement would be the same, irrespective of what what unit you used. so that radiation has a particular wavelength and a particular frequency okay and if you convert that frequency into time period it basically comes out to like 0.7 nanoseconds or something oh so using that as the unit and using binary uh, to represent numbers we've given a sort of measurement on the display of the record saying that you know use that many time periods mm-hmm. so the record should spin once in that much time then and the entire yeah and the entire length of the record is this much time by putting out another binary number or oh that that's pretty interesting Pre- pretty crazy no yeah it's it's like math and chem kind yeah. of being used to communicate and even though they have to i mean i'm pre- i assume that they would have to use math or like something like a fibonacci sequence where where it's you know common and it's easily recognizable for them but this is pretty crazy they have to think about something that would be fundamental exactly and even the binary representation is through dots and dashes only like mm. it's not any other you know kind of format yeah yeah but i i just wanted to run by, that by you yeah that, that's really interesting i never knew about this that, i think for me that's one of my favorite missions the voyager mm. craft yep yep definitely how about you yeah um favorite missions uh yeah i think it has to be voyager <laughs> i don't think there's anything beating that i i actually wanted to uh, play some audio from that okay so this is uh it's like one of the recordings from uh the record i'm just going to play mm-hmm. it out Hello from the children of planet Earth. Is that a child saying hello away from planet Earth or something? Yeah, yeah. Oh. Hello from the children of planet Earth. Oh. 
I don't know. It's, what do you think? <laughs> I mean, say, uh, right now it's in the middle of the night and I think it's a kind of, it's a bit scary. <laughs> yeah, actually, you know, it's, it's kind of, yeah, but man, just like, even the background noise that you can hear in the track, mm. it's, it's almost like if you were to come across that craft somewhere and listen mm. to that, it would be so, I don't know, like literally chills. I know, right. But what is that background noise? Did they intend it to be there or? I'm not sure exactly, but that's how I heard it. And so I thought I'd use the same track. Yeah, yeah. Good, good. Yeah. <laughs> I think I need to just rewatch or revisit that entire record. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah. For everyone out there as well, like, go ahead and check it out if you're interested in that. Yep. It's just, I feel like it's like one of those things uh, that we've done that will always kind of be there, you know, like as humanity as a whole. Yeah. Away from all of the normal stuff. It's literally like throwing something out into the universe and Mm. no matter when, somewhere along the time, some some time and somewhere someone will discover that. Yeah. It's kind of like, uh, (laughs) you know, writing something, putting it in a bottle and throwing in the ocean. Yeah, yeah. You know, people do that. Exactly. Uh, Yeah. I wanted to ask, like, if there's one place that you could go. You know, mm-hmm. like all of this discussion that we've been having, which one would it be? Or anywhere in the solar system or something specific that you want to go? Should it be in our solar system? I mean, not necessarily, like, whatever. Uh, definitely uh, black holes, near black holes. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure I'm going to die, but... Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, I don't know, if I had the opportunity to come back, definitely black holes. Like, I'm, I'm pretty sure it would be, like, the future for me okay, when I come back. What about something? Yeah, what about something, like, a more realistic thing, like, like a mission to one of these places? That <laughs> more realistic thing. <laughs> okay. Because <laughs> who knows when that will happen. Yeah, yeah. In our lifetime, at least. Yeah. Uh, more realistic, probably Neptune. Because I don't think many people realize uh, or even think about it. Uh, and, uh, again, this is one of the interesting facts uh, that I got to know that Saturn is not the only planet which has rings. Um, I think Neptune and probably even Uranus, right? Yeah, I think I think almost all of I think all the four gas giants have rings. It's just that it's very huh. uh, very obscure. Only Saturns are like as pronounced and brilliant and shining. And yeah, yeah. That actually reminds me. Like I think it was Galileo who first saw mm-hmm. that uh, saw Saturn and the rings through his mm-hmm. telescope. And of course, you can't see like those kind of Hubble images. You can only see like these dots kind of. So he sees, so he sees like a white ball and he sees something on the left and right of it, which he calls its ears. Okay. Like, like a tiny little face with ears. And that was like the first moment where somebody had seen the rings and thing with the telescope. Oh, was that of Saturn's? Yeah, yeah, it was Saturn's. Like, the others are, like, too less to be discernible. Like, you can't see it through a telescope. Damn. But so cool, right? Imagine, like, I know you've uh, taken your telescope out and seen a few things, and yeah. I've, like, observed the moon and stuff. But, like, imagine being the first person to ever observe that and put it down. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Like, it seems like such an achievement, even compared to today's... Uh, Images of Saturn, which are so clear, and you can see the shadows of the rings on the planet. Yeah. But just like that one image is always stuck with me. That's so true. 
you, you, even when uh, because you brought that up when i uh, you know, got my telescope out and i was viewing jupiter and saturn when i finally could focus on saturn that was like man that felt so awesome because even though i knew how saturn looks and uh, <laughs> it wasn't a mystery to me i expected a ring but actually seeing it like real time that was a that was an experience definitely you get those like that in yeah. that moment yeah i think it's similar to that overview effect like you i know, can't right? describe it and yet we kind of understand how it feels because of these experiences probably yeah and i think people even with this apollo mission people had the special connection probably because it was there uh, there was this human aspect to it like people actually landed on moon we knew of course moon moon was there like since ages and we can see every single night uh, i mean mostly uh, every night and uh, people don't think about it much but when something actually happens like when you can see through your telescope all those craters or when someone actually lands over there it again brings stirs up that you know curiosity or that awe towards space yeah for sure that wonder you mean to say basically exactly i think that's basically like what i at least take away from all of this stuff it and you know i remember watching uh, i think it was again neil degrasse tyson who's just saying mm-hmm. something like you know we have people saying oh why are we putting all our money there and we should be investing in all the problems here and what they don't realize is that you know investing that money there a bit of whatever is is kind of like that's what defines the meaning for so many things like the fact that we know how uh, things form and how stars form and how the planets formed it like this conversation wouldn't be possible without all of that like that wonder and curiosity wouldn't occur and that sense of meaning of life and being wouldn't really like we wouldn't be reaching towards that question or rather that answer if we never explored space and put in that effort and sent out missions and put people on the moon that's true i think it's a part of our inherent uh, curiosity that we have that need to explore that we at least had yeah uh, as a child that exploration yeah I, i don't think yeah that's what like like you said it's it's implicit right like it's inherent like it it'll never go away yep <laughs> Well, totally thank God, the universe is infinite. <laughs> <laughs> but but you know what? Like I just want to end on this that uh, I I had re- I remember uh, I think it was just like some random person who had said that you know it's it's sad and unfortunate that we live in a time like this where the Earth has been explored almost completely. So there's not much mm-hmm. of a possibility left there. uh i mean which is debatable but but they're trying to say that and yet like it's too early to explore the universe properly yeah we're born in a time like that so it's kind of a little unfortunate <laughs> i know uh actually when all this avenues are opening up for you know space travel space exploration uh, space space exploration is fine like that's what scientists do and like most of it is just rovers and probably we're heading towards space travel and let's see how that goes and uh hopefully that uh, you know propels our exploration aspect of it for sure man yeah. yeah i think that's something to look forward to definitely i don't think i'm going to be sleeping properly <laughs> to right after all this talk cuz i'm just going to be thinking about all this and wondering about stuff yeah def for sure you and me i think i'm going to you know get my telescope out and <laughs> god to my terrace 
Yeah. Cool. Um, I think it was a nice talk and hopefully a nice experience for everyone listening in, providing a bit of a cosmic perspective, hopefully. All right. Feel free to leave your thoughts and comments on this topic. And you can find our content on Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Apple Podcasts. And of course on YouTube as well. Thanks everyone for tuning in.